party people. Welcome once again to the Party of One podcast, the actual play RPG podcast where the gaming table is always set for two. I'm your host as always, Jeff Stormer. And this week on the show, I am joined by my good friend Nathan Paletta to explore his new game, Imp of the Perverse, a game of Jacksonian horror in which investigators of all kinds, haunted by the imp on their shoulder, begging them to push a little closer towards darkness, go to battle with monsters, those that have succumbed to their urges and and in doing so, given up their very humanity. It is very cool and moody, and I am super into it. You can find a link to where you can support Imp of the Perverse in the show notes. Before we dive in, a quick note about structure. This is character creation and monster creation, technically two separate recordings squished into one episode. Uh, The actual gameplay will come out later this week. Expect it Friday or Saturday when I have time to edit. But we wanted you to hear the full prep process and hear the, the journey of how we come up with a character as well as how a monster is formed. It's really cool and interesting. It gives us a lot of material to work with later. But know that you're going to get some spoilers for the stuff that is to come. But I think it's worth listening to because it's really neat. Two more quick things. One, a reminder to the listeners about the live show at Tattooed Moms on July 20th at 5.30 p.m. as part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. Uh, You know how much I love doing live shows. This is going to be a blast. Tattooed Moms is my favorite bar in the city. I can't wait. I really hope to see you there. It's going to be a great show. And lastly, some Patreon backers to thank. Thank you, Scott Paladin, Carolyn Delbert, and Gabe Obermeyer for your support of the show. I really appreciate it. You're helping make cool games, podcasts, and more stuff happen. Uh, We recently announced that we'll be paying every guest on Party of One moving forward. So any support on Patreon you can give to help make that happen and help increase those pay rates as well as to pay the people that make the show is really appreciated. So I really super appreciate it. It means a lot. And with all that said, let's throw it over to me in the past so that he can get started with the show. Take it past me. Get that going. Make sure everything looks good there. And then whenever you are feeling comfortable, I'll go ahead and hit the big red button in Zencaster and we will dive in. I am ready when you are. Oh, uh, I should. I guess the one question is, yes. should I introduce you as Nathan Paletta or Nathan D. Paletta? Which do you prefer? Uh, just Nathan Paletta for That's spoken spoken words that's, that's what i figured i just i, I always like to confirm these i appreciate that. that all right so hitting record in zencaster in three two thanks future me this week i am sitting down with my good friend nathan paletta nathan thank you so much for coming back on party of one well thank you so much for having me so uh real quick at the top of the show why don't you take a moment and introduce not just the game that we are playing this week but as any other projects games etc that you might want the audience at home to know about Sure. Um, well, so for this week, uh, you have graciously allowed me to come here to uh, start start off a short story in the Jacksonian gothic world of Imp of the Perverse. And uh, this game has been dominating my life recently, so I don't really have a huge amount of other projects going on uh, actively. I will be having a... Uh, a game design zine that I launched uh, during the Kickstarter zine quest thing. Um, that's actually going to be coming out pretty soon. So if you're interested in, uh, you know, the, the art and practice of RPG design, I am doing a cut and paste style zine, uh, incorporating the wisdom of all of my texts of uh, the, the wiser designers than I, along with my own thoughts on that. Um, so that's the next like thing. But other than that, I'm just trying to get an Imp of the Perverse. It's done. Mm-hmm. It's at the printer, but shepherding it, you know, into the world physically is uh, is my life right now. <laughs> I, 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 as somebody in the same spot, I know, I know that feel very well. So 
solidarity, my friend. <laughs> so tell me about Emperor the Reverse. Give me, give me the, give me the pitch before before we. Um, in this episode, we are going to be making our. Uh, I'm going to be making my dramatic, my hero, my protagonist, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the episode, we're going to have a special sort of solo recording where you're going to, after the fact, go and make us a monster. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, give me the pitch of the game before we sort of dive in and sort of create the Jacksonian horror mm-hmm. world that we will be inhabiting uh, for our next episode. Right, so this game is, uh, as you might imagine from the title, inspired by the work of Edgar Allan Poe, but not Mm -hmm. limited to that work. Um, The idea is that in this uh, historical 1830s, 1840s Jacksonian America, uh, there is a shroud between the worlds of the living and the dead. And Mm -hmm. um, from across that shroud come the imps. Uh, of the perverse onto the shoulders of those who have some kind of perverse fascination or drive uh, to do something that they it, it 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 satisfies you to indulge in it, but you know that it is ultimately damaging and wrong. Sure, sure, sure. So those who are afflicted with such imps, uh, they can feel the 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 ripples in the world caused by these disturbances of the shroud, including the. Uh, very serious uh, anxiety that's caused by the presence of a monster. And monsters are those who have fully given into their perversion uh, mm-hmm. and physically turned into a demonstration, a, a incorporation, if you will, uh, of that uh, of that perversity, of that desire. So mm-hmm. monsters um, are all unique in the sense that you know there are no there are no vampires, there are no werewolves, but there might be someone who was so. In, indulgent in tastes of the bizarre and arcane that they ended up only being satisfied by the blood of the living. And then they mm-hmm. have turned into a creature that can only live on that. Right. Yeah. Um, and then it goes, goes from there. So your protagonists in order to rid themselves of this imp, rid themselves of this desire can, uh, the way to do that is to hunt down those who have already given into it and, uh, and, and save uh, human society from the terrible things that they are doing. Uh, so it is the hunt itself that both, um, that, that both might draw you farther in because, uh, the imp gives you power, right? But it's also Mm -hmm. the thing that will enable you to see, see your humanity and regain it. So it's a monster hunting game, but it is also a psychological horror game as Mm -hmm. you experience, uh, this, uh, the, the, this process of the temptation of uh, your protagonist to give in to that which they desire. I love that. Uh, you uh, that is a hell of a good pitch. <laughs> I am extremely into this. This is this feels like my jam already. I am excited. Excellent. Um, right. So uh, you know the the it is kind of a uh, for lack of a better term a party style game in the sense that. Mm-hmm. If you have, you know, if you have a group of players who are all playing protagonists and then there's the editor who will be me in this case, who is responsible for creating the monster and then the monster's web, which uh, embeds the monster in a social relationship with the protagonists through uh, uh, the other characters that are going to be in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the premise is generally that uh, you are going to be working together uh, in this effort Uh and the rules, uh, but the rules scale down to a one-on-one situation, um, fairly, fairly, uh, 
easily. There's a little bit of change to how the progression... Uh, <clears throat> there's a little bit of change to how the progression mechanic works if you're going to play multiple mm-hmm. chapters for a single player. But um, other than that, most of uh, almost everything that we're going to do in the game is the rules as they apply to a three or four person uh, game as well. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So we, I have in front of me the, the, the playbooks or the play sheets for protagonists of the East and South and protagonists of the West. Mm-hmm. So I guess my first question to you is, does it, uh, which, wh- where, where is our story being set? Um, so, uh, I was going to ask you that question okay. <laughs> in terms of, is there a particular locale that you would like to explore? So the, the reason this is set in this period of history, in addition to it covers when Poe was actually writing and publishing, um, is uh, the, the the thematic resonance is that this is a really dynamic time. Um, mm-hmm. America is basically going from uh, from from two thirds of the you know of the landmass to coast to coast, uh, sea to shining sea over the course of this twenty years. Um, we're seeing a, a a shift in our political system to the two party system that we know today. We're seeing revolutions in technology in uh, uh, communication in social relationships and hierarchies. So like it's all this like stuff that's shifting and changing that like creates the cracks in which perversity grows, right? It's mm-hmm. like it opens up people to the worst impulses because they're facing all this change in their lives. Um so there's two surveys. Uh east and south uh is basically anything um east of the Mississippi. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and west is anything west of the Mississippi is a good uh, way to mm-hmm. divide it. Um, and they tonally shift uh, how these protagonists come out a little bit. But generally, uh, picking a city that you're interested in is a good first first stop um, along the... to, to, to orient us. And mm-hmm. if you are agnostic, I can go ahead and just throw out a couple uh, a couple ideas for you. My heart... I'm gonna, I, I think I'm going to go with my heart mm-hmm. and go with the, the one si- the city that immediately jumps to me. And it's the city that always jumps to me because it's the one outside my window, <laughs> which is, you know, which is... I feel like Philadelphia is like a peak, like peak historical drama city, right? Perfect. Like in my heart, in my heart, if I'm going... If I'm exploring some some good historical psychological horror, I'm going to want to walk the streets of Philadelphia. All right, then we are going to do that. Uh, that's a great choice. That is a great city for this game. Uh, yeah, so then you will be using the protagonists of the mm-hmm. East and South survey. All right. So I've got the East and South. I've got the protagonists of the East and South in front of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I really like, I, I'm very excited. I really like the uh, like the layout of the play sheet. I love, I love a good like survey or a good <laughs> like, you know, journey character, emergent character creation of like, Filling things out and answering questions is my favorite character creation. So I'm I'm already I'm invested already. Awesome, uh, right? So what this is going to do? I'm just going to I'll do the quick overview and then we'll mm-hmm. get started. Um, so what this is going to do is it's going to we're going to create this protagonist that is uh, embedded in social relationships, and so mm-hmm. different the the different chunks of this as we get to them are going to be creating. Uh, these different circles. So there are no, uh, this game does not have any 
uh, uh, orphans who are mm-hmm. from a faraway land uh, with who are amnesiac, you know, badasses. Um, no, no lone wolves. Right. Yeah. Uh, everyone, you are going to. Well, whether you actively are engaged with them or not, we're going to find out about your family. We're going to yeah, find right. out about uh, your marital status. We're going to find out what communities you're part of. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can the the way this this works is you know you can kind of start going through uh, the options and let the ideas kind of come out of what sounds interesting at each point. Or you know if you pick something and then you already have a picture of like oh that's who this person is then mm-hmm. you you know pick things that are in line with that. Right. Uh, um, but yeah. So first you are going to pick your protagonist's career. Right, so my careers are uh, a career of leisure. What's the specific? I know there's a you the the described in a particular way, and I want to get the wording exactly right. <laughs> there, yeah, it is career. That's what I thought. Yeah. I thought that was right. <laughs> so uh, I can choose a career a career of leisure, uh, a career of letters, of affairs, of arms, exploration, or service. I've immediately, I've been, I was looking this over and like, I have been so drawn to a career of letters Mm -hmm. partially because I was, I was, I was not looking at this at work because (laughs) I would never, never, but in, but in my nine to five, I am a, I am a copywriter. Mm -hmm. So being, doing a a career of letters just immediately, it's saying to me. Excellent. Um, yeah. So the careers, right. These are the, 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 the buckets. I mean, they're the, you know, the. The, the character classes, if you will, mm-hmm. the play sheets, um, the, the large scale bucket of what kind of character you are. Um, but as we will go through, this can be a, a career of letters could be anything from a journalist to a philosopher to uh, someone who lectures to uh, someone who um, writes uh, 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 journals of their travels. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything that involves the written word, uh, an academic um, I had a character once who was basically in like, like an occult researcher who's like a Mason mm-hmm. and like that kind of stuff. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so you'll kind of decide on, so within the world of letters, what is your specialty? What is the actual thing that, uh, that you write? Uh, I'm going to go with, I, I think it's, I, th- I think it's obituaries. <laughs> per- all right. Well, you're going to make this easy for me. I see. Thank you. I, I feel. I feel. I. I feel like if I'm if I'm going for it, I'm ringing the bell. I think that I am a writer of obituaries. I think that I am the. I. I. I am the person who writes of of your life after your life has ended. Excellent. Cool. So each of these choices is going to be giving you stuff that goes onto your sheet. Um, so the things that we're going to be hitting are uh, qualities, which are kind of mm-hmm. intrinsic um, things about your character, uh, uh, things they can do or things that they are. Um, relationships, uh, which are relationships with people around you. And then mm-hmm. these three pools of points um, that are what you use when you uh, investigate stuff and try to find stuff out, uh, which are resources, standing, and reason. Um mm-hmm. So uh, I'll go through the differences between those uh, probably at the end. But uh, your choice of letters gives you a quality of literature with a rating of two and uh, three points of reason. Fabulous. Uh, 
Next, we go to your choice of are you a man or a woman, or which do you uh, pass as? Which is to say that um, both both we are playing this as modern people, and also there is much historical precedent for uh, non-normative gender expression, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That is a a choice if you want to explore that. Um, You can also, you know, just go with a, a simple choice, but this also is where we start to think about how society around you perceives you, right? Right. Being male or female in this world, which is highly patriarchal and highly, um, you know, oriented towards, you know, landowners and stuff like that. Um, this is going to position you in that world in one way or another, right? Right. So I think I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm a man. I think that's, I think that's my, that's. I think that's my gender. Cool. And now we find out what kind of family are you a part of. So you can be from a good family, a poor family, an odd family known for a certain peculiarity, a proud family, or an unknown family. I, oh, these are all very good options. I I think I'm going to go with a, I think I'm going to go with a proud family. Hmm. I don't think that I don't think my family is actually I think I'm going to go. Yeah. Proud feels right. Proud feels right. Because I don't think we're especially I don't think my family was especially like wealthy. But I think that I think that we were like proud. Are you uh, and, and you know, these are all kind of amorphous and you can kind of lock these down as we go. Right. But something to start thinking about is like, are you um tighten it with this family are you you know is is part of the pride that you you know are very uh uh, keep together as a unit kind of against the world um or is part of the pride maybe about you doing being self-reliant and being out in the world on your own um are you are your parents still around do they matter to your life like that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. can be in the background while we're going through these other um options um so for a proud family, recognizing no insult upon them uh, gives you a quality of pride with a rating of one, uh, a point of resources, and a relationship with a uh, single family member at a rating of two. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you can decide who that is later or if you immediately know, um, you can make a note about it. I'm thinking, I think that my family is proud of like... Not necessarily being, like, hugely successful. Like, like I don't think we're rich, but I think that, like, they, you know, my family built, like, has built a, like, a life, right? Like, a modest living, and then, like, like my parents probably immigrated in, and they kind of, like, you know, they run, like, a small shop. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think maybe I'm an only child, and so I think that I'm going to say my relationship is with my, uh, my mother. And I think that, I think that the pride is like, you know, we made it right. Mm-hmm. Like we, like we, we, we have our, our corner of the world and we won't let anyone take That's... that away. And my parents don't like, they don't necessarily i think that they i don't think they disapprove of my like of being a journalist and a writer and a person of letters and i think that they i think they their view is like 
you know, do do what we did, mm-hmm. but not in the sense, not in a literal sense, but like make get yours. You know right. what I mean? Like make like make it like be okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you, you know, we've we have done this. Do better, you know, do either better than what we did or or fulfill yourself in the same way we fulfilled ourselves. Kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, for sure. Um, are you an only child or are you an only surviving child? Hmm. Um, families at this time are pretty large. Um, and I, I kind of call this out in the book because we we have a, a modernity bias about family size. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, it doesn't really matter in terms of, like, this needs to be historically accurate. But contextually, um, families, uh, you know, could be have four, five, six, seven, eight children uh, just to beat the odds because um, a, a significant number of, of children die before they're one year old and then before they're 10 years old. So uh, just a just just another contextual thought for you. Uh, yeah. In that case, I kind of like having a lot of siblings. Okay. Because I think that kind of gives that kind of gives a little bit of credence to like the, the parents perspective, right? Mm. Is like is like the kids will, you know, there's probably one of my brothers like is managed, like will, will, will manage the store. Right. And like, and I think that they have a viewpoint of like, you know, the store is safe. There's like probably four or five other siblings out there doing various things. And our parents have a viewpoint of like, you know, you leave, you do what you want to do. As long as you are living, as long as you are living comfortably and like, you know, making a living, doing what you what you set out to do that is what matters to us um cool so uh we already kind of you already started going there but where is Mm -hmm. your family from um and so the options are uh, a city the countryside a particular cultural or religious community or parts unknown i think they are from a cultural so yeah, I think my parents are from the city, right? Or rather, like, they have their... So I guess my question then, yeah. is this where they grew up or is this sort of where they live now or where where is, like, their life now? Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, this is kind of where your character considers themselves to be from. Okay, got it. Yeah, then it's definitely from the city. Okay. I think it is definitely, like, it is a tiny shop somewhere in what in 2019 would be called old city Mm -hmm. it's some tiny little corner store that my parents like opened and sort of brought up from the ground up cool so so it's kind of like you're so you're you're, you and your siblings are basically uh first generation immigrant right yeah 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 yeah. you were born in america yeah right so yeah so you're like i'm from philly my parents are from you know germany or wherever yeah yeah um, cool. So that gives you standing in, mm-hmm. in Philadelphia, uh, two points of that. Perfect. Cool. Uh, next is your marital situation. Uh, <laughs> the title is marriage and the question is, mm-hmm. what is your situation? Um, so there's two independent choices here. One is whether mm-hmm. you are Married, unmarried, or a widower uh, in your case? And then, uh, do you have children or do you not have children? Mm-hmm. I think I am... I think I am married with no children. I think I have... 
Oh, well, I, yeah, I think I have, uh, essentially, like, a, I think I have a husband, is where I think I want to go with it. Or, like, at least a, a, a live-in sort of common law husband mm. situation. Okay. Cool. So, this is a, uh, so this is a, a good point to talk about, um, again, kind of like social understandings yeah. of you as a person, right? So yeah. the married unmarried is is very much a how does society recognize that you are mm -hmm. in wedlock or not? So okay. in this case, you know, if you are, uh, yeah, so if you're a man and living with a man, uh, you would be unmarried okay, because yeah. people would not consider you to be wed. Gotcha. You, yeah, let's people, go unmarried. People would very much know or figure out or hear, right, like, mm -hmm. that you're together. Um, you know, your 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 bosom friends, right? Uh, yep. But, yeah, the 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 choice is is one of societal recognition gotcha. because it aligns gotcha. you into social relationships. No, that makes sense. So, yeah, then I'm going to go with the unmarried because I think I have I have I am living I am living with a man like a long term roommate. Mm -hmm. And we are and we are we are in love and very close and we are we are living together and i think right. we have no children i think mm -hmm. that i think it is just the two of us right uh cool so uh so you have the quality of unmarried at one mm -hmm. and then no children uh gives you a relationship with any one of your choice at one mm -hmm. which i think in this case would uh make sense to be your your uh we'll, we'll call him your husband for now for for lack of a better uh a better term and then uh the next question on the survey are you happy in this situation mm -hmm. i'm gonna say very much yes yeah awesome and i'm gonna get gives me an extra one to equality or relationship i'm gonna put that relationship with my husband up to two that sounds perfect all right um so now uh we want to start thinking about your perversity right mm -hmm. that's why we're here um and to get us into that mode is deciding whether you are closer or not to the shroud. Uh, have you hunted a monster before? Um, this is a pretty big choice. Uh, if you have hunted a monster, it means that your lucidity, which is a central stat that measures mm -hmm. how far away you are from giving in to the imp, starts off at four instead of five, so it's a little lower. You have fewer empathy points to make new relationships and find out things about a monster and play. But you get a supernatural gift granted by your imp, um, a supernatural edge. Uh, if you have not hunted before, then you are more human. You have more empathy, uh, mm -hmm. no special power, but you do get another point of reason. So uh, I think I, I think I have hunted a monster. Before. I think. That sound. I think for for one on one, that's probably pretty, mm -hmm. pretty good choice. Most most people in single session games have choose to have hunted before. <laughs> yeah, that feels like that feels like the right option. And so I'm gonna have one empathy, four lucidity, and I get to pick an edge, a supernatural gift guided by my imp. I can either speak to the departed, mesmerize the living, see the imprint of a murder, hear the echoes of others' thoughts. Taste the emotions of my fellows, or smell deceit, treachery, and dishonesty. I think I am going to 
I don't think I want to speak to the departed. That feels too easy. <laughs> For you, you can get the uh, get the obituaries coming and going. <laughs> yeah, that feels that feels it feels like I would be I would make my job less fun. Honestly, uh, I was just going to say it's like it's amazing how he always gets these obituaries in like the day after they die. It's, the detail <laughs> the in details. these obituaries is remarkable. They're so rich. I kind of love uh, like seeing the imprint of murder. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a good. That feels like that plays. I think very nicely off of the obituaries in a way that's not. Actually, I think I'm gonna go smell smell deceit, treachery, and dishonesty. Just feels like that. Just feels cool. That's, <laughs> that I think is just where I want to go with it. Great, because like. Because, like, I think that also kind of plays off of off of his career in a nice kind of fun way is like, you know, as I'm getting the stories on the obituaries, I can kind of like know when I'm being fed a line about like <laughs> right. what the person accomplished. Do sometimes do your obituaries turn into like exposés a little bit like a little bit, you never I think th- a little bit. Nobody had any idea that, you know, this this yeah. this happened despite. Despite claims to the contrary, right. we 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 at the we at the Philadelphia Inquirer know mm-hmm. that you know that this person has done this. We can exclusively reveal. Oh, that is that is that is peak journalist right there. <laughs> yep, that I yep I can smell deceit, treachery, and dishonesty. Cool. Um. So does that? Uh, is any of this starting to to point? towards um the perversity that is yeah i've got kind of that this two. guy has i've got kind of two is this uh, i guess the question is this an open-ended question or are there choices to make because i know in the past i've given an open-ended uh, answer and this is open-ended so so okay. perversity and its counterpart which is greatest strength your most human quality those are free form Okay. We will we will workshop them a little bit to to get to a, a good place. Then I sort of got two. Okay, and I'll throw it out to you and kind of see if one of them, if you feel like one of them, it's like there's the easy one, which is sort of morbidity, right? There's the mm-hmm. easy one, which is that like I am drawn into the life of like the dead and of murders and things, and that 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 feels that feels like like an avenue we could go. But I also like if I can smell deceit. Um, mm-hmm. See if I can find just the right word. It's almost like an emotional sadism. Mm-hmm. The idea of like, I like making you squirm a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I like reveling in... In fact, I think that's the one I think I might want to go with. Yeah, that sounds that sounds rich rich to me. The idea of like, I know when you're lying. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily, you know... and I'm not like a muckraker. <laughs> but like, you will... Will you engineer situations in order to catch people in falsehoods a little just to bit. watch them squirm like that kind of a little thing? bit? I like that. I, I, I like it as sort of a um, knowing knowing that this is a, this is this is fun because it's riffing on a mutual on a mutual interest. But, yeah, it's a little bit of a morbid Columbo situation, <laughs> okay. a little bit of a cr- of a cruel Columbo of like. I'm not doing it to, like, bring justice. I'm doing it because it's fun for me. And I'm not necessarily mm. going for that big dramatic confession. I just want you to kind of know that I know. And yeah. to sort of have that knife, like, twist that knife a little bit. If you then go and confess, great. We get an exclusive. 
But the important thing is that I get to kind of position myself in a position of power. Right. I think. And so that's kind of the 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 juicy heart there. Right. Is is the sense mm-hmm. of having power over someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Because of your superior knowledge or your superior uh, uh, ability to to like keep them fooled or 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 because, you know, more than they do because of mm-hmm. your uh, edge or other reasons. Yeah, that feels that feels right. That feels like what I want to go with. Cool. And yeah, so generally perversities, uh, you know, we have this conversation um, with with everyone who's making a protagonist. Right. The idea Mm -hmm. is to take take the initial thought and dig down a little bit to make sure that we're getting either to like, you know, a root thing that's a little more general, usually, because in play, uh, some what we're going to be doing is seeing if your per- perversity applies to certain situations. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so, you know, we don't want something that's like really specific only when you're like interviewing someone. Right. Yeah. Um, right. So getting to this idea of, of it, it brings you this pleasure to have power over another and watch them squirm because you've trapped them somehow. Mm-hmm. Like that's much, that that's, that's nice and, and wide. Yeah, um, that gives us a lot of opportunities to play with that. Right. And it's also uh, mindfully uh, thinking about your relationship with other people. The mm-hmm. one thing that I that I say in the in the book uh, that, you know, came up during playtesting um, is that sometimes there's a temptation to take kind of an inwards facing perversity, like something like being mm-hmm. para- paranoid or something like that, where the character action would be to stop interacting with other people. Mm. And it's totally cool to, to take that perversity and then figure out how that matter, like, like what that means for you in a way that does not shut you off from participating in the game. But like being mindful of that idea that you want your perversity to involve other people and not shut you away from other people. That's the only like real, um, pitfall with uh making this choice uh that you know we we discovered through playtesting because you mm-hmm. don't want to be playing your character i you know you want to be playing your character mindfully and in and and getting into them right and inhabiting yeah. their mindset and then having that m- mean that you're not going to go hunt is that's hard to reconcile yeah for sure um so this in this case it is not a problem but i just want to you know just bring that up for for uh, educational purposes, if it, <laughs> if uh, yeah, no, for sure. Did. Um, all right, and so along with the perversity is this idea of your greatest strength, your most mm-hmm. human quality, uh, the thing that makes other people like you or like to be around you or enables you to help people who are around you. Um, if something doesn't immediately spring to mind, uh, two ways to think about this are either. Is there something that's the flip side of the perversity? Like, you know, there's two two sides of a coin kind of situation. Or is there something that, like, counterweights your perversity that mm-hmm. that is opposite of it? So I think what I want to go with is, you know, bouncing off of the idea of, you know, the, 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 the avenue we didn't take of the morbidity. I, I almost like, if that's not sort of an obsession... I think there's a strength there of like, I don't want to call it 
adaptability, but almost like compartmentalization and an ability to kind of like uh, empathize, but sort of in a sense of like uh, commiserate. A, a, a sense of commiseration. I think that's a good, that's kind of a good way to put it that like you were saying, kind of drives it towards like interpersonal action. It's the idea that like, this is a morbid job. Mm-hmm. Like I do, like I am making a living. I am fulfilling my parents sort of <laughs> ideas for me in like a very morbid, dark kind of field, but it's a job. It is a, it is a living. And I think having, I think that kind of, that kind of, ability to just be like you know what i'm making i'm making a living i'm earning my i am earning a paycheck i am earning my my daily bread as best i can doing a thing that i have a talent for right you know it 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 opens up a sort of field of relating to people and being like hey you know what like we've all got our job rights we've all got our daily sort of turmoils and troubles and there's a certain relatability in Mm. that ability to relate and to commit specifically kind of commiserate with people about like the strangeness and the darkness and the troubles of their sort of daily existence. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm seeing, you know, this, this comes into play when, you know, you interview people to get their, you know, to get their, their, their comments about their loved one who's just died. Right. And you're not a vulture swooping in to pick the bones. They feel like you, you legitimately want to know what they're feeling because yeah. you know, they're, they can relate, like you can relate to their, whatever, whatever their, their job struggles are, their life struggles. And then they have this event and. Yeah. 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 It, it, it helps me kind of tell the story. Cause I'm like, Hey, look, this person lived a life just like I'm living a life. Like mm-hmm. we all have lives and we all have, you know, big, big, giant events, but there's also a person underneath who has lived, who has lived. So let's get to know them. That's awesome. I like that a lot. I'm really that 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 feels. I'm glad we didn't go with morbidity because I feel like that this feels like a more fun approach <laughs> to having sort of the dark job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you're. Uh, it's like you're really good at just like not letting it get you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I can kind of see a bit of a dynamic here between which kind of which part of your your personality comes out or or rather the times that you are tempted towards uh, your your perversity is dependent on the person that you're mm-hmm. interviewing and their attitude. So, like, yeah. if they're more of kind of a working class, you know making their own life kind of person, then it's easy for you perhaps to, to commiserate. But if there's mm-hmm. some kind of like, there's some, there's someone who has, you know, some kind of secret that's really gross or you're uncovering some kind of darkness in their story, mm-hmm. uh, then it's like, well, you know, the, the, I don't need to, I don't need to, to be as empathetic with this person because yeah. I can make, I can make them squirm and they deserve it. Yeah, I, I would have, I would, it, it almost, it, it almost kind of turns into like uh, the, the self-delusion of like, well, I have an obligation. Mm. That's good. It's my duty. Mm-hmm. That's real good. I love, I, I love both of these. I think my name is Arnold Thurston Holbrook. That's that a great feels name. like a good, that feels like a good Jacksonian horror mm-hmm. name. All right. Um, so there are a couple, couple last things that are kind of final touches. Mm-hmm. Um, so number seven is who do you admire? 
Uh, this we do skip for single mm-hmm. single player games. Um, in if there were more than one person, uh, you pick another protagonist that you hold in special regard, and we talk a little bit about you know why why that would be, um, and that gives you a uh, particular relationship with them in play. Uh, but obviously, that is not the case here. Sure. Um, and then there's just uh, some some last what else is important uh, things. So you can add one to any of your qualities or relationships, or you can create a new quality uh, at one or a relationship at one. So this is where if there's something that you want your character to particularly be able to do or a space that they shouldn't particularly inhabit, um, you might want to make a new quality uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, or, or not. I think I'm going to increase pride by one. Tying into tying into my strength of my strength, I think like mm. I think I love my job, and I think I'm very proud of like the work that I do, and I think that that is part of what makes me sort of able to like shrug off shrug things off, and also kind of like get towards other things. Is like I'm like yeah, I, I you know I'm I am I grew up reading. I grew up mm-hmm. reading the newspapers. I grew up reading books, and now I am writing for a living. I am. I am doing. I am doing my parents right, and so I, I think I'm going to increase pride by one. Sweet, and say like I am. I am proud of the work that I do, morbid as it may be. <laughs> cool. Uh, and then you start with uh, another point in either standing, resources, or reason. Um, so these are representing. Uh, ways that you find things out. Um, standing is using your social circles uh, and what you have standing in, which in your case is the city of Philadelphia. Uh, mm-hmm. That's so pretty general, which is which is helpful. Um, resources is spending money, uh, bribing people, or using the fact that you have money to get favors, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then reason is your uh, deductive reasoning, inductive reasoning uh your ability to just put two and two together uh it's your sherlock holmes um yeah you know uh superpower it's not a superpower but yeah to logic gonna, things out i'm gonna bump up standing because i feel like i feel yeah. like this character probably doesn't have a like arnold doesn't have a lot of money mm-hmm. right like this isn't a high paying gig and but i think that like Everybody has a cousin that died at some point, or a brother, or sister, or yeah. you, you know, parent. You meet a lot of people. Yeah, I I have met just about everyone in this city, and every single time I tell them I wish it was under better better circumstances. <laughs> nice, um, cool. And uh, the last bits. Um, your greatest strength starts at three, um, and each of your relationships you pick whether it is one of responsibility or one of sympathy Mm. Um, responsibility that can be, you are responsible for them. They are responsible for you or like you're kind of in a socially obligated relationship um, that matters to you, but is more one of, you know, that, that kind of uh, obligation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sympathy is more, you know, your heart beats faster when you see them or your bosom companions or, uh, you know, you're, you have some kind of, of deep connection, um, that isn't necessarily romantic love, but is, uh, you know, more, more by choice perhaps than a, uh, uh, responsibility relationship. Sure. 
So I think I think you know it doesn't have to be romantic love, but I feel like my relationship with my with my husband is very much a sympathy mm-hmm. relationship, right? Like it is very much, you know, we are we are having fun together, <laughs> and I think like we enjoy each other, and so I think I'm going to make that sympathy. I'm going to make my relationship with my mother obligation mm-hmm. because I think like I think it is a lot of like I come back and check in and make sure that like the store is still doing well and that they don't. I'm gonna. I think because I here's what here's the dynamic. I think I want to add here because uh-huh. I think this is interesting. I think I'm checking in as much to make sure that like I'm not needed more around mm. because if my parents have the viewpoint of like go chase your dreams, chase your destiny, like I almost like the idea of like checking back in and be like you're still cool, right? Like you're good. <laughs> you don't you don't need me. Fine, I'll go. I just want. You know, normally parents, I think, are a little, we, we, we kind of picture the parents as a little more like, you know, following our footsteps. So having parents, especially at this time period that are like, that are like, go dream, chase right. things. Have, yeah. There's almost that, that sort of social obligation that drives me back to be like, you're still, cool right. we're still good, this. right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Great. And that's cool. That's, so that's very much like, you know, we are, I, I don't know if you want to pick a specific, um, um, you know, wherever they particularly came from, I'll keep saying Germany because that's pretty on, on point for the period, mm-hmm. um, for this area. But, uh, you know, they're like, sure, we're German, but you're American. Yeah. Right. Like we, you know, we, we came here because we want you to, you know, have all these, have the promise of America and have the promise of this, you know, booming economy and, you know, this, uh, what this the, to lead a life that does not require you to immigrate somewhere else um so yeah that's a cool dynamic yeah well and i'm i'm going to go with german cuz i really cuz like for me this is this is this is important that they are like if we're going german we're going philadelphia we're going like shopkeepers i really feel like they might just be like essentially amish butchers sure <laughs> and like that just feels perfect and it also it also feels perfect that like i as someone who is very much not like following in like the religious footsteps of it still is coming back and being like being like you're cool like you're like that, mm-hmm. that adds another element of like feeling like i i am off guard by the fact that you are like so thoroughly pushing me to kind of chase the american dream right and yeah, and also this is a time where, you know, even if you're not, uh, you know, super religious in the sense mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, being involved in religious life, um, generally people live a life informed by religious beliefs mm-hmm. uh, and the and just the sense that, you know, God exists, the devil exists, there are angels and demons weird stuff happens. Um, there are, there are saints and miracles and plagues and, mm-hmm. you know, all these things that are unexplainable. And those are from, from God or from the devil. Um, mm-hmm. so that's just kind of like the soup in which you swim, even if you're not particularly, uh, yeah. active. Yeah. Oh, I love this. I am, I am, I am over the moon. This is really good. <laughs> Cool. Um, all right. What was what was your name again? Uh, Arnold Thurst. I, I, it's Arnold Thurston Holbrook. Mm. And I think my husband's name is Brian uh, Moreweather. What was the last name? 
Moreweather, M-O-O-R-W-E-A-T-H-E-R. Cool. Uh, and what is your mother's name? My mother's name is, um, what's a good, what's a good German? What's a good, very German name? So, uh... For, so so everyone knows this is a game where you're very much encouraged to look stuff up while you're making characters and while you're figuring out the first part of the game because believe me every little thing where you're like so like were there a lot of like Amish Germans let me let me see and that will take you down a rabbit hole that you'll, that will give you 12 things for your character um <laughs> so like looking up names and stuff is also uh, a fun side uh side project while you're uh, getting set up for this game. Let's go with Bertha Holbrook. Yeah, I like this. I, I'm re- I, I like this character a lot. <laughs> cool. So, uh, yeah. Any other thoughts or questions about the character? I don't think so. I feel pretty good about it. I feel like I've got a really good picture. The, and that's that's I feel like the sign of a great character creation like engine is I feel like I have a really strong picture of like my entire situation starting this out both like mundane and supernatural so I think I'm awesome. in a good spot that's awesome yeah and that's that's really the goal is is to end up with characters that feel I mean maybe real isn't the perfect term but you know feel cohesive. Yeah, lived in, I think, is, mm-hmm. a good, is is how I would describe it. I feel like I have a life for this character. Awesome. Uh, cool. All right. Well, with that, um, we will uh, throw it over to, uh, to your solo recording, and then we'll come right back for our social media-like wrap-up stuff. All right, everyone. Now that we're alone, I'm going to go through the process for making a monster for Imp of the Perverse. So this can work in a couple of different ways, and the text covers uh, the two main ones, which is either you can come to the table before you've discovered the protagonists with an idea for your monster, and then um, use uh, what they come up with to connect them to what you already have, or you can do what I'm doing here, which is now that I know who my protagonist is, I'm going to make a monster that's aimed pretty squarely at uh, I'm touching on Arnold Thurston Holbrook's perversity and interests. The game works totally fine either way, and in fact, there are uh, a set of ready-to-play chapters um, which come with monsters that are fully fledged and also a set of pre-generated protagonists. And also, uh, the, there's a menagerie of monsters from the fevered imaginations of Kickstarter backers uh, in the text that are all pretty much ready to drop into any web. So the web is the technique by which uh, we're going to connect a monster with the protagonists. This is a relationship map, essentially, um, with a specific emphasis. Um, at the center, in the center of the web, if you will, is going to be our monster. Around the periphery, to start off with, are going to be our protagonists. And then uh, I'm going to establish a couple other characters um, that are closest to the monster, usually either those who have the most interest in protecting it, um, or those that it has the most interest in uh, as potential victims or servants or whatever. And then the next layer out are uh, character relationships, um, or rather the characters 
that are the relationships to our protagonists, uh, as well as maybe any other that are implied or demanded by what I have in play so far. And the goal of this is to start off every chapter um, with a uh, with with an investigation to pursue. You don't start off with the protagonist directly connected to the monster, though. You know they may know know the that person, but may not know who. <clears throat> but they don't know, you know, that they're a monster yet, or something like that. Or sometimes it's totally mysterious. But this is going to set up our game so that the first part of it is going to be them seeing that there is some uh, so- something afflicting the social circles that they're a part of. Uh, they know that this is a monster because that is the premise of the game and because that is what being uh, someone with an imp means. Uh, you can feel the anxiety rising when someone is fully given into their perversity. Uh, so that's, you know, the, the in-world explanation and our meta explanation kind of dovetailing uh, to give us our premise. But once they start investigating, that's where we get into the real game. Um, and then once they have uh, discovered the monster, then, um, you know, how they deal with it is up to them. That's open-ended. So for this monster, um, so I already did a little bit of brainstorming and research, and now I'm just going to kind of go through, I'm going to summarize that thought process uh, so that you don't need to hear long periods of silence while I look things up on Wikipedia. Um, sorry to destroy the the illusion there. What I wanted to do here, and what I usually do when I start a monster, is to uh, do a little cursory research into the city and the time, um, and find something that jumps out to me uh, that I can kind of arrange against the protagonist to, to get a juicy idea. So in this case, we're in Philadelphia, and uh, for for the sake of, of for the sake of framing any given game uh, in the text, I divide up the Jacksonian era into three kind of sub eras: uh, early, middle, and late. And those kind of break along significant events in history. Um, there was a uh, what's called the Panic of eighteen thirty seven. That is um, that was one one of the first and most impactful um, bank panics and depressions that the country fell into. Um, And so that kind of divides the early period of this very uh, uh, bottom-up, yeoman-like democratic optimism with the election of Jackson and, um, you know, all this uh, uh, expanding mercantile interests um, from the middle period, which was one where the country was in a depression uh, and, uh, so, so social dynamics and tensions grew more intense. Um, and there was, uh, kind of the growth of, uh, <clears throat> this is where we really see like the growth of inter political party strife, um, re- religious revivalism, uh, gaining more strength, uh, sectarianism between slaveholding states and free states, uh, really taking hold, etc. And in the late period, I kind of break around 1846 um, with the annexation of Texas into the Union and then the subsequent start of the Mexican-American War. And uh, while this was a, while this was, you know, by no means a unanimously uh, uh, wanted or uh, approved of conflict, it was a 
Um, it was something that united a lot of the nation in a certain direction. Um, a lot of people viewed it as a response to acts of Mexican aggression. Um, and the result was basically gaining the rest of the territory that we now consider America. Um, that's where we include, you know, New Mexico through California, um, Oregon through Wyoming and Montana, like all of that stuff, uh, is subsumed into the map by 1850. So for this game, I decided to set it in 1848 in Philadelphia. Um, mostly because I felt like, uh, some of the things that were exciting Jeff about his protagonist were kind of optimistic American dream ish kinds of things. And also the, uh, the newspaper business is one that is really juiced by the war. Um, it, it was exploding throughout this entire era of history, basically, um, you know, from the, the 1820s on, but the, uh, the late thirties into the early forties are when the daily, uh, the penny press starts. And we have, um, uh, this mass dissemination of literacy, uh, as more and more people read newspapers um, and get the news of the day through their local penny papers and not the uh, more expensive and not the more expensive newspapers that were published by business interests and politicians and um, private citizens who you know had things to say. So that all kind of synced up to me to be more of a late period thing. Uh, so to pin it down, we're going to be in Philadelphia, 1848. The basic concept for this monster. So uh, our protagonist is concerned is concerned with obituaries. Uh, he's around death, uh, but he has this kind of positive approach to it that enables him not to get drawn into the more morbidity of it, uh, as we were just discussing. Um, so I was thinking of some. So I wanted to go with kind of the flip side of that, which. Uh, is a monster that is obsessed with death because it fears death. Um, so this is the core perversity that I'm going to start working with. This fear of death. Um, this monster is willing to go to any lengths to prevent its own death and thus is obsessed with that of others and perhaps performs some kinds of experiments or does some kind of some, some kind of interaction with those who are dying in order to learn more and stave off their own fate. Um, one of the decisions you make for your monster is whether they are still living, but close to the shroud, uh, the shroud between the world of the living and the world of the dead, whether they are past the shroud or whether they are returned from beyond the shroud. This, uh, is a, this is a way to, contextualize um, maybe how this monster can be dealt with uh, at the end of the day, as well as just, uh, you know, how, what, what flavor are you interested in? In this case, what I uh, thought would be really interesting is if um, this monster is past the shroud, they have in fact died, um, but they are in such denial that they died, that they are still clinging to the appearance of life. And so perhaps they do some kind of um, draining of vitality of those around them in order to maintain this illusion that they're still alive, even to themselves. Uh, and 
the part of the um, part of the question of play will be exactly how either uh, Arnold uh, discovers this or the monster themselves discovers the truth and then what their reaction is. You know, I'll let that play out depending on how our game goes. So uh, going from here, this is where uh, I started kind of just going down a couple alleys of things I'm interested in or things that I have noted in the past but haven't had a chance to really explore in other games. Um, So this obsession with death and being around it, uh, I thought would work out well um, perhaps to have some kind of uh, doctor. And there's this thing that has come up a couple times um, in other games uh, that in my in my head I shorthand as uh, steam steam doctors. Uh, I couldn't quite remember what that meant, uh, but I lo- love the idea of it. So diving back into that a little bit, uh, what I was thinking of is this thing that's called Thompsonian medicine. And so this was uh, essentially a alternate uh an alternative medical system uh that was created by a doctor named thompson hence thompsonian in the 1820s uh and then was practiced through this period and in contrast to mainstream medicine which is mainly bloodletting and uh hoping that you know uh hoping that miasmas won't come through the window and um uh, using, you know, topical applications and, uh, you know, getting out of foul air and stuff like that. The Thompsonians viewed uh, the human body as basically when it gets too cold, that's when you have problems. So that's where the steam part comes in. Uh, they believe in steam baths, uh, cayenne pepper as like uh, an applied thing to your skin to promote vitality all kinds of like purgatives uh, to get the, the the bad cold stuff out of your body um, and increase blood flow and stuff like that. So a bunch of stuff that has very little basis in, you know, our, uh, our modern medical practice, but is a something that I, I've started seeing where there's a lot of horror here. Uh, there's some, some bad things that this, uh, doctor may may be able to do because of this practice. Um, this also links into something that uh, is part of the perversity to me, which is this um, this quackery, this idea that you know this this person is practicing these medicines, and it's not because he thinks it's going to make them better. It's because he thinks he can get something from them through it. Right? That's what is monstrous about this. And so that gets to like a really core idea for monsters, which is, um, which I think is probably something that comes about once you do this a couple times. But the idea is that your monster needs to be monstrous, needs to be something centered around a concept or an idea or actions that you as the editor of the game, as the person sitting at the table want to see destroyed because it is wrong uh, and that can be from your modern conceptions where you sit, or that could be, I suppose, from historical context to start off with. But this is not a a noble figure. This is someone that you're on the side of the protagonists, um, and what you're doing is uh, you're not going. You're not making it more difficult for them, uh, as you'll see mechanically. You don't actually do. You don't make things hard. Um, 
but what you do is you demonstrate the impact of their monstrosity on the world. And that's what ups anxiety and ups the drama. Um, all right. So our, our Thompsonian doctor, um, I, uh, I decided to name him Dr. Emerson Wilder. Um, there's a monster sheet that you can uh, fill out for your prep um, and then use in play. So I'm just kind of going through the sections on here. Uh, Dr. Emerson Wilder is a um, elderly, mustachioed man uh, who is kind of uh, in prim and proper dress. Um, but as he uh, exercises his powers in the world, he grows younger. He gets farther away from what he imagines to be death. Right. And so that's the picture in my head to start off with. Um, we establish the status quo of the monster. So this is kind of like absent the intervention of our protagonist. What is going on? Uh, you know, where is this monster situated in, uh, the city and the social situation? So again, Philadelphia, 1848, uh, I'll probably be leaning on Jeff for local knowledge. I'll be asking him about like, uh, you know, the, the area that he lives and connections to modern Philadelphia and stuff like that. Cause I, well, I have visited and it is a lovely city. I don't know that much. And, uh, it's always nice to get those little nuggets of, of, of knowledge, um, as to color the game. Uh, what is it doing? Um, it is still experimenting to find ways to extend its life uh, as it feels the grave, right? Because it has gone past it. Um, and uh, it is doing what it can to find the secret, right? Th whether it's the secret to eternal life or the secret to uh, extending life uh, through whatever means. Who has it hurt? Um so these are questions that you must answer during your prep. Uh, these are not optional. So every monster is doing something. Every monster has hurt someone and every monster has someone who protects it. So who is it hurt? Um, so this is where I went back to the relationships on uh, Arnold's sheet um, and kind of start establishing the layer between the monster and Arnold's relationships, uh, his his husband, Brian Moreweather, and his mother, Bertha Holbrook. Um, I've decided that Brian has a brother named James Moreweather, who is a, uh, who is a phys physician's assistant. And we're going to keep this nice and tight because we're going to have the single protagonist and playing for, you know, a single session. Um, so maybe if there were more characters in play or we're going to play over multiple sessions we would complicate this a little bit but we'll uh, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and say but I'm going to go ahead and say that James uh, is the assistant was the assistant to Dr. Wilder um, James found the body of Percival Adams um, Percival Adams is uh the, the answer to who has it hurt. This is going to be our, our starting kind of focus our, to, to get us kicked off. Um, Percival Adams, who was found uh, dead at home with bright red skin and all of his hair burned off. Um, but there's no fire. There's no evidence of conflagration, right? Um, so 
Dr. Emerson Wilder has killed this young man in a some horrible manner. Uh, I'm also making a note that um, I named him Adams, and then I thought, oh, this, you know, to hook into the obituary angle, this is a, a member of the Adams, uh, no pun intended, the Adams family, the uh, uh, as in John Adams and John Quincy Adams, the presidential Adams. Um, and thus, that is perhaps the hook to bring Arnold in as doing the obituary, because this is a semi-famous person, and it is a salacious story, um, which we'll talk about uh, in our when we kick off the game about uh, the nature of journalism in this time. Who is protecting it? Um, so uh, I mentioned James Morweather. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that he's protecting it because um, he legit- legitimately believes in this medicine and he wants to be a good doctor so he kind of has i i'm envisioning him as kind of a an innocent to perhaps be uh uh to, to perhaps have the the scales you know fall from his eyes at some point or something like that um we'll see how the game goes uh and then the other character connection here uh is connecting the month in between the monster and the mother bertha is this young lady named Frida Lipkowitz. Uh, Frida is the daughter of a family, uh, you know, a a family that is friends to the Holbrook family. Perhaps they live in the same area. Perhaps they help at each other's stores, something like that. Uh, Frida is sick with uh, consumption um, because we'll go hard into our Poe-inspired themes here. Um, She's wasting away, but these steam treatments seem to help her. And so she, um, you know, perhaps uh, Bertha views her as perhaps a, a kind of daughter or, you know, just is so big hearted that this is someone that she really cares about and, and is paying attention to. Um, but Frida is protecting Dr. Wilder because um, she thinks that he's going to make her better. And then the last section is who or what does it want um, sometimes this kind of develops through the first part of play. I try not to lock this down too much uh, because there's a, a pretty basic starting point, which is, you know, whoever's protecting it or whoever it is hurt, it wants something, you know, that combines those people and uh, their interests. So this is pretty straightforward. It wants to drain uh, the, the vitality from both Frida and James, perhaps in different ways, uh, in order to continue its uh, efforts to preserve its own its own existence. While they perhaps have an innocent appreciation of uh, Dr. Emerson Wilder, the monster knows that it is targeting them. Um, it is not whatever level of not knowing what it's doing in terms of its being a you know, being a spirit or not, um, it is actively trying to. Uh, uh, it is actively willing to sacrifice these two people that depend on on him for its own gain. All right, so now we get to the fun part: um, the escalation of this creature. So over the course of the game, I've said this this term anxiety is going to rise. That's a mechanical thing as well as a, uh, 
a a thematic thing. If we're playing in if we're playing at the table, I have this large red d6 that I use to represent anxiety. Uh, it starts at one, and during on a number of triggers during the game of things that happen, it'll go up. It'll go to two, then it'll go to three. Um, every time anxiety rises, the monster escalates in some way. There are three escalation ladders or arenas, um, which are uh, the creature can escalate an area, uh, either physical or social um, area that it can affect. It escalates in horror, so it escalates the actual stuff it does. The supernatural, creepy, weird powers that it has, those fall under horror. And so as things escalate, it gets more and more uh, powerful or contextually horrific, um, or it gains new abilities. And then emanation. Escalating an emanation means that not just the monster using its powers to do things on purpose, but those around the monsters start to absorb its perversity and things happen to or through or by them, um, whether they're victims of the monster and thus they gain some kind of power as if they've been affected, or if it's uh, uh, someone who has been in a certain proximity starts to emanate a, uh, a similar... Um, uh, a terrible vibe. Um, emanations are the things that kind of grow out into the world around this monster, regardless of what its actual agenda is. So when you do your prep, you fill in the first level of each of these. Uh, each has three levels. Um, and then if you have specific ideas for what escalation could be, you can fill those in now. You can also leave them open and just see what happens in play. Every time anxiety goes up, it's going to go up on one of these. You choose which one based on how things are going. Um, and then, you know, the next, your next couple scenes uh, can and should um, describe new things because of the escalation. So for area, um, we're going to start off with, uh, we're going to start off with those in its care. So it can uh, affect um, or infect uh, only those who are in its active care, um, those that it is actively tending to. And then uh, I do have an idea for escalation in area, perhaps kind of playing with the steam idea. Um, anyone who inhales one of its treatments um, and I'm envisioning that this is, you know, steam and maybe smoke, uh, powders, that kind of thing. If they're lingering in the air, perhaps, or if uh, a patient has been told to dose themselves, anyone that can smell those things uh, is going to be able to be directly impacted by the monster. Um, and this also, and I wasn't thinking this until I just said that, but this also is echoing our protagonist's edge of smelling deceit, treachery, and dishonesty. So I kind of like that, the, the, the poetry there of having that come up in play, perhaps. All right, uh, the juicy stuff. What is the horror of Dr. Emerson Wilder? Um, 
So I, I already have an idea for the last step. If it gets fully actualized in what it's doing, it uh, regains a corporeal body. Um, you know, there's no once we start play, there's no particular there's no particular restriction or or reason to stick to the uh, the starting state of this creature. Right. Um, whether that. Uh, so in this case, I'm, I'm agnostic as to whether that means, you know, whether then it would count as coming from beyond the shroud or not. Uh, I don't know. I'll leave, leave that for future Nathan to figure out, uh, if it even matters. But, uh, I think we start off with this creature as a spirit and, uh, I already know it's third level of horror, which is that it has, uh, that it fully, um, it re- regains a corporeal body. Um, the first level of horror, the basic level, if you will, the thing that it is already doing when we get started, um, is that it is that it can create any amount of heat uh, with with a touch. Um, that's the conduit through which it drains vitality, perhaps, um, and is also the way in which it interacts with the. Uh, with the with the the mortal world, so and that is you know our our poor our poor Percival Adams uh, was fully his life was fully consumed and as that was done he was fully scalded by this incredibly hot steam that uh, comes from Doctor Emerson. So the starting horror here is uh, drains. Drains life with with steam heat is how I'll note it on my sheet here. And so for the middle level of horror, I have a beginning and, a, and I have an end. Um, I don't have a particular idea for the next horrible thing it does. And I kind of want to leave that open because often in the middle of the game, a situation will come up and I will realize that there is a particular... <clears throat> And I will realize that there is a particularly horrible thing that should happen. Uh, and so maybe that is when I will uh, assign something to this next level. Uh, basically, whenever I I uh, escalate up to it is when I will decide. It'll be something in the realm of... Uh, in the realm of creating some kind of... Um, creating some kind of pain or maybe taking over some aspect of a person to kind of bridge into this fully becoming corporeal. Maybe it can go into someone's body, something like that. That would be gross and, uh, and, and perhaps, uh, terrible. So I have kind of a, a concept and we'll see how it comes out in play. And then emanation, what happens to those who are in his care? Essentially. My first level is become true believers. Uh, so those in his care or who work closely with him, like our two uh, victims slash protectors, uh, part of why that is the case is because he exudes this um, confidence and this uh, and this belief in what he's doing that makes other people believe in his quackery, basically. Um, even those who perhaps doubt the Thompsonian uh, approach 
once he visits and then leaves, uh, just being in his presence and hearing what he has to say, they decide that it that he's the way to go and not, you know, to the the, the traditional doctor, that kind of thing. Uh, so the next emanation from there. So what happens to those around him or those he has ministered to? I'm going to say that the next level of emanation, and this will be pretty, probably pretty severe when it happens. But again, let's let's put it, let's let's keep it tight and 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 uh, intense for our play session. Is that the the fluids of the body of those that it is ministered to start to boil away? Um, perhaps he's the only way to replace them is for him to come and treat them again or something like that. But this is a side effect. This is not what he is doing on purpose. This is because of the nature of his monstrosity. Um, he boils boils the, the blood and water and fluids uh, slowly uh, of those in his care. It slowly boils away and they, they get you know more and more desiccated um, as he is gaining more and more strength just because he thinks his you know, his ministrations are, his are working that he's discovered the secret, but it's at the expense of his, um, patients, of course. And I'm going to leave the last step on that one blank as well. Um, for the length of game that we are going to play, I'd be surprised if we hit the last one in all of those, but if something comes up in play, you know, I, I have it open to me. Um, and also, these uh, uh, these steps of escalation are a uh, are a guide. They're not a straitjacket. So if something comes up and I have an idea while we're playing, or Jeff says something and I'm like, oh, and I say, oh, that's way more horrible than what I have noted here. I'll just scratch it out and go with that. Um, the whole goal here is to give myself the same kind of level of confidence. Uh, to make decisions as we play be, because of my prep on this monster as the players have um, on, on going through the protagonist creation setup and having their sheet with all their stuff and this uh, context for how they're going to behave and what they're going to do um, in play. So all this prep is basically just to give, give myself a whole bunch of material, get my head aligned with, uh, the concept for this monster so that I kind of can think about what the most effective scenes are going to be once we get started. Um, and so one thing that I like to do, especially for a situation like this, where we're going to be getting started right off is uh, try to think of one or two starting scenes to just throw out as the very first thing we do. If I'm playing a longer game, um, I like to set up situations at the very beginning for the protagonist to just interact and kind of discover how their um, how, how how their vibe is and kind of let people get into character and all that kind of stuff. But for this uh, this approach, I want to have stuff ready to go. Um, so in this case, uh, I think we're probably going to start right off with this. Um, the news of this death of Percival Adams, and maybe we'll get right into um, Arnold in the 
maybe in the in the house with the body before it's even been taken away or anything like that because as we as we all know it's the uh the 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 gritty details that people want to read about um so he definitely wants to see the see this body that has been so terribly abused in such a mysterious manner uh so we'll we'll get so unless something comes up uh once future me talks to future jeff uh that makes me have a different idea then uh i already have a note about our first scene and that will hook right into um probably probably introducing james um and then we'll go from there so that is a fully prepped monster dr emerson wilder is ready to be a terrible gross life-draining apparition um, my last note is that because he has passed the shroud, I will start the game with three weirding dice, um, and that the anxiety for the game starts at one. And so that's the, the choice close to past or returned from beyond gives you two, three or four weirding dice. And those are what I'm going to use to make it, uh, to, to make it more tempting uh, for for Jeff's character to give in to the imp. Uh, and that's it. So, uh, so as I said, there are a bunch of examples of monsters that are already at this stage um, with their, uh, their status quo set, who and what it, they want, and the, the first couple levels of escalation um, in the book. And they're kind of a little more general so that you can drop them into different games or you can, you know, align them with what your protagonists are about but they range from, uh, you know, muckraking journalists to uh, there is another monster in the book that I was kind of thinking about. That is um, a doctor that is afraid of death, kind of. But it's a, a different bent where there, that's a young doctor who, uh, who is afraid of mental decline. Um, all the monsters have content uh, notes and warnings because some of them do get pretty, pretty dark. Uh, but they cover a spectrum of genre and, and approach to what a monster in this game could be. And they're all unique. So you can use those as a model for yourself or hopefully having listened to this, uh, and with some help from, from the words I've written that will guide you through to making your own monster. All right. And with that, uh, I will bid you farewell until the next episode in which Arnold Thurston Holbrook will uh, start to discover what exactly is going going wrong, what is so terrible in Philadelphia. All right. So real quick, before we wrap up, um, thank you so much for doing this. I look forward to playing with you in our next episode. This is going to be a lot of fun. Um, but real quick, before we wrap up, where can people find you and your work online? So everything uh, that I do is noted at ndpdesign.com. Uh, that's where you can get all of my games, uh, links out to my uh, Patreon, um, which helps uh, support my ongoing design process, including all the stuff I release goes out to patrons as well. Um, and also out to my uh, podcast projects, um, one of which is old uh, and is a the uh, RPG, um, <clears throat> which is called, 
One of which is an older project, uh, the Design Games podcast that I did with Will Heinmarch. It's 50 episodes of the two of us talking about game design. Um, and I also have an ongoing show with a fellow game designer and good friend Epidiah Ravishal, uh, where we talk about the Rockford Files, uh, the seminal 70s te- television detective show. Uh, that's called 200 a Day. And um, if you're interested in one of the greatest television shows ever made, uh, and like to hear me talk about it, that's where you should go. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at NDPaoletta. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we'll have you back real soon, technically in two <laughs> days' time, because we will be playing this on uh, two days after recording. Hell Until yeah. then, I'm going to throw it over to me in the future so that he can wrap up with the show. Take a future, me. Excellent. Thanks, Pass Me. And thanks again to Nathan for coming onto the show. That I'm so excited to, for people to hear the gameplay portion because both of those were so cool. Both of those recordings are so neat and interesting, and I'm hype. Stay tuned for part two, the actual gameplay portion of Input for the First, later this week. And in the meantime, head to www.ndpdesign to check out Input the Perverse as well as Worldwide Wrestling, my favorite role-playing game, and as well as all of Nathan's work, which is cool and interesting. Also, follow Nathan on Twitter at ndpaletta. Then, follow us on Twitter at Party of One Pod. Like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash partyofonepodcast. Join our Discord community at bit.ly slash partyofonediscord. If you enjoyed the show, consider leaving us a nice iTunes review, a social media shout-out, or a word-of-mouth recommendation. All of those things help us do bigger, better, and cooler things like live shows, such as the one that we're doing at Tattooed Moms on July 20th at 5.30 p.m. as part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. More information at phillypodfest.com. If you enjoy the games podcast or anything that I make, the two best ways that you can support the show are through Patreon at patreon.com slash jeffstormer or at ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash jeffstormer. Both of those, you know, support the show directly. They help people get paid. They help us get paid for our time. It is an amazing thing that you can do to help make the show happen. If you enjoyed this show, I think that you'll really enjoy the podcast, All My Fantasy Children. AMFC is a character creation, storytelling, and world-building podcast on the OneShot Podcast Network in which every week, my best friend Aaron Catano Saez and I take a listener-submitted prompt and we spin it into an original fantasy character, populating a shared universe one story at a time. New episodes drop every Friday at partyofonepodcast.com. Party of One is produced and edited, as always, by Jeff Stormer and Jen Frank. All music for the show comes from the song Infinite Lives by Megaran, featuring the D&D Sluggers. If you'd like to inquire about advertising rates or about coming on to the show, you can email me at partyofonepodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for me. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Remember to fight the forces of fascism every single day. Remember that self-love and self-care are radical and defiant acts of resistance. And as always, party on, everybody. Party on, everybody.